You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jamila Souffrant, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. We all start from different places. My in-laws came to the U.S. with no jobs, no college degrees, and a few thousand dollars in cash. I, on the other hand, grew up in a wealthy suburb with professional parents, investment properties, and an awareness of the stock market. We all start in different places. So the idea that our financial lives should have the same trajectory, the same goals is ludicrous. But financial advice today seems to be much more monolithic. Instead, my guest today wants to help people no matter where they are on their journey. When it comes to your journey to launch, you might be a newbie, an explorer, or you might already be the captain of your ship and have it all under control. Different starting points requires different advice, period. Jamila Souffrant is an award-winning podcaster, writer, and personal finance educator. She is the founder and host of the Journey to Launch platform and podcast where she shares her journey to reaching financial freedom while helping and inspiring others to do the same. Her book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, a step-by-step guide to achieving wealth and happiness, launches December 5th. Jamila Souffrant, welcome back to Earn and Invest. I see that we often use the terms financial freedom and financial independence interchangeably. Are they different things? They can be. I use them differently in the book, at least. So thanks for having me back on the show, Jordan. And I do want to say, I do make sure I say this in the book, the difference between financial freedom and financial independence, it can depend on who's saying it. But when I'm saying it, I do mean financial independence in the purest sense, in the way that is typically talked about in the FIRE community, which is having enough money that you can live off of in your portfolio or investments where you don't have to actively work again. So true financial independence, not the way sometimes people say it, where it's I'm financially independent from my parents or from a partner. This is complete financial independence from everything and everyone because you have a self-sustaining portfolio that can pay for your expenses. Financial freedom, the way I see it and explain it in the book, is much more fluid. It's not as rigid. There's no real attachment to a number. It's more about feeling free and having options with your life and your money. So you can still be in debt and have obtained some level of financial freedom because you don't necessarily have to worry about paying for your mortgage or rent. And the idea 
and what I want and I say in the book is that you can attain and have financial freedom on the way to financial independence. You don't have to wait until this very lofty, audacious goal is met that can take decades for some people or a lifetime, but you can achieve the benefits of financial freedom, have joy, have options in your life on that pathway. I love how you've parsed out the difference between financial independence and financial freedom because you yourself and your story is a wonderful story of finding financial freedom before financial independence. You came from somewhat an auspicious upbringing in the sense financially. Your mother nicknamed you Pocketbook. Why? Well, so my mom, God bless her. She really, I don't know how, the fact that I have three kids and have more help and financial standing than she did. And I was a lot older when I started my having my children than she was. I just don't know how she did it. So she had me very young at 20 years old. And we immigrated here from Jamaica, the island of Jamaica. And she had me and had to leave me behind in Jamaica for a few months to come here to establish herself. Like many immigrants do, they have to make a choice, you know, leave everything they know or venture to this unknown land for opportunity. And she did that at such a young age, leaving me behind so that she could establish herself. Eventually, after she was able to work and she would work minimum wage jobs, I was able to get my papers. So my papers to come join her with my grandmother and I was able to join her after a few months. But with that, my mom really, we had not much support outside of really just her working until she had to take me everywhere. And with that, everyone just saw me as her little pocketbook or she would call me pocketbook and everyone else would say, when you saw Debbie, which is my mom's name, you'd see Jamila. It's like her pocketbook. And so I went everywhere with her because she just, you know, outside of maybe standard daycare, she didn't have much help. So she literally took me everywhere. She took me to some of her college classes. I would sit next to her and do, you know, my version of her homework with her. And we were very much attached as I was growing up and she had no other choice but to have me around all the time. Your mom's story is pretty amazing, right? So she comes to the U.S. from Jamaica. She eventually sends for you and your grandmother a year later, starts with basic minimum wage type jobs, but goes out then and also gets her education while still working, ends up with a master's degree. Is that right? Yeah. So she... She always knew that education would be the pathway to having more stability and money. She was not raised with a lot of money or access in Jamaica. And so when she came here without much of anything, she didn't have a college degree. She knew that that would be the start. And back then in the 80s, you know, there was no Internet. So the way she had to search and find information was through the yellow pages and calling, you know, the phone numbers listed, going to the place, not knowing if it was going to be open because maybe they didn't update the information in the wherever she got it from. And so she was so determined at such a young age to make it work and find a pathway. And she was very inquisitive. I remember the one of the things she I don't think that this made it into the book, but she my mom, my grandmother, like most people, when they come here and they don't really have a background or education, especially when you're an older woman, you end up maybe cleaning houses, watching children for just people with money. And so my grandmother did that. And one of the things that she did and shared with my mom when she came home after watching children all day was 
these, you know, I read to these kids every night. Like that is a requirement. I'm supposed to read to them every night and even in, in the day. And that was not something my mom grew up with. But when she heard that my grandmother watching these wealthy children is one of her requirements was to read to her, she started to do that with me. So she was like, we may not have a lot, but I can take you to the library every week and I can read to you every day. And so it was that kind of just inspiration and knowledge that she gained from looking at others that she used for her own life. And so she saw other people that when they had a college degree, they can get better jobs. And so she started to just apply herself and slowly she got her associate's degree and she got her, her bachelor's degree. And then eventually after a couple of years, a few years, she knew the next step to earning more was to get her master's degree. And so she eventually did that, which again, I'm just when I was now given the opportunity to pursue my education, I've always just took the stance of if my mom could do it with so little and not a lot of guidance, who am I not to do more or to at least fulfill what I believe is my just potential? Tell me also how this affected you growing up the way you did, seeing your mother and grandmother do what they did. You developed really distinct ideas of what your financial life was going to look like when you got older, what financial independence was. Maybe you didn't use those words, but you kind of had early plans for yourself, didn't you? I did. I was always a outspoken and I'd, I'd say full of life child. You know, I was not afraid to talk back to adults, something that's not like encouraged in the Caribbean community. But my mom, because she wasn't able to have that kind of freedom, she allowed me to. Um, and so I just felt, I, I always felt a little different than everyone else in terms of, you know, I liked to just control my own steps. Uh, I wanted to be always be my own boss. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew I did not want to work for anyone else. Even as, as a young child, it's not that I thought of all these entrepreneurial things when I was a child, but I just knew that I didn't want people telling me what to do. And I didn't like it when I was a child and people told me what to do. And I knew I didn't want to be like that as an adult. And I knew that money and having money would be helpful in allowing that to happen, to be full autonomy of my life. And so I just said, growing up, I just want to be rich. I want to be a millionaire. I didn't know what that meant. I just wanted enough money so that I could control my steps in life. And it wasn't until obviously that I got older, I started to work, that I really understood what having money meant and how a millionaire doesn't mean you're not free from the chains of working. And I learned that all along the path. But yes, when I was growing up, I thought I have to, I can't do what these other people I see are doing or work. I didn't want to watch children or be a nanny. I didn't want to work in minimum wage jobs for the rest of my life, even though I did that when I started working you know, in the beginning when I was a teenager. I just knew I wanted more for myself than I saw other people around me immediately having or doing. I believe from the book, and you can correct me here, but you had a goal. I, I don't know if it was a million dollars or if it was to not be working for other people by the age of 30. How did that change? And were you able to meet that goal? And if not, what happened? So I started working my first job at 14 years old and worked ever since. So when I was in high school, I worked. And then in college, I got an internship through this program called Inroads, which helps minority children get into Fortune 500 companies. And so in my freshman year, that summer between freshman and sophomore year, I got a really great paying internship at the company that I would then eventually work for full time and stay with until I eventually quit. And 
I knew even from going into the internship, you know, I felt like, wow, like I'm getting real money. So they paid you really well to be a college student and to be working at the same time. So that was great. But and they offered me a full time position before I went into my senior year. So I went into my senior year already knowing I had a full time job. So I didn't even look for other jobs. I was like, I have I'll just go work there. But when I started to work full time that first year, I started to realize I remember being an intern and walking in the city and being so excited and looking at everyone's faces and they looked so miserable. And I'm like, what's the be? Why is everyone so miserable? Like, this is great. You know, I felt like an almost an adult going, taking the train into the city. And I thought this was so exciting. And then it wasn't until I started to work full time myself that I saw why everyone looked so miserable. And I said, you know, I can't, I'm not going to do this forever. I can work for now because I want to build up some money, but I don't want to work for anyone past 30 years old. So I declared that in my early twenties after I got my full-time job. And I tried different things to allow that to be true. So I first thought that in order to not work for anyone else, I had to marry rich, which was not the case. So my my boyfriend at the time, who then became my fiance and a husband, he did not come from money. He was not, he didn't have the trajectory that he was going to earn that much where I didn't have to work ever again. So that was out the picture. I thought you maybe had to win the lottery, but I don't like, I don't play the lottery. So that was going to work. Or I thought I have to build a big business, like the a million dollar business, billion dollar business in order to become wealthy and not work. And so I tried different things in my 20s. I had an online magazine in college that I started with my friend. I got my real estate salesperson license because I thought maybe I can, I loved real estate. So maybe I could sell real estate or rent real estate out. Tried that. I took someone to look at a rental unit and I just, I did not have the patience to deal with people and with that process. And then I also tried vending machines. So I remember investing a lot of money, too much money. I was probably scammed a bit to buy vending machines. And I thought that would be my next big thing. And none of those things worked. I tried it. I didn't like them and it didn't work. And so in my twenties, I'm trying all these things. I'm realizing they, I don't like doing it or it's not working. And so I'm like, I don't know how this goal of not working past 30 is going to happen because I can't figure out something else. And so I, I almost, I gave up on the goal after a while and said, everyone else around me works until retirement. I have a decent paying job. You know, your life is, you have a good life. So just accept it and do whatever everyone else does. <laughs> you know, go to work, figure out how to have fun outside of that. And that's it. And so I did not reach that goal of quitting or not working for anyone past 30. I stayed a bit longer than that in the workforce. I feel like in every good story, right, there's that moment of difficulty. So if we look at Jamila's story and we look at your mom coming to the U.S. and you rose like a phoenix into corporate America, you had all these big plans. And at some point, you almost sound like you hit a rut, right? You're driving multiple hours to and from work. Tell me about the FIRE Financial Independence Retire Early movement and how that played a role in maybe getting you out of that rut. Oh, I, re- I remember, so I had a long commute from Brooklyn to New Jersey and I had this commute. So this was the same place that I commuted even when I had my internship. But, you know, in there, my 20s, I wasn't, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married yet. And I actually lived closer to the pathway to get to work. So my commute was like an hour. But as time changed and patterns changed in traffic, I actually moved further into Brooklyn when I got engaged. My commute became horrible. So all these things that I was dealing with and bearing because, you know, I had more time and energy 
when I got into my early 30s now and I got pregnant with my first child, I started to feel the pressure and the almost, you know, I talk about this in the book, this nail, I call it like the nail, the dog in the nail story that, you know, it's a passerby and it's from Les Brown and his book. And he talks about a passerby walking by a dog. The dog is whimpering because he's on a nail. And the passerby asks the guy next to the dog that's on the Porsche, like, hey, why is the dog whimpering? And he's like, because he's on a nail. And so the guy's like, why doesn't he just get up? And the guy on the porch says, because it's not hurting him enough. And I felt that, so for a long time, I was bearing and dealing with the commute. But when I got pregnant with my first child, and I was heavily pregnant. So I was used to the hour and a half commute by at this point, but I was heavily pregnant. And the I remember one day it took hours to get home and I just couldn't do it. And I said to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. I cried in the car, cried to my you know husband when I got home. And the next day, or I don't know if it was the next day or that night, but I started to Google, how do I quit my job? How do I leave corporate America? How do I retire early? So I was putting in all these search terms not knowing what I would find, but came across this concept called the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early. And it first started with the most, you know, the popular blogs that you typically find when you enter this movement, especially back then. It was like Mr. Money Mustache. It was Mad Fientist. Uh, and so I was now in this world and learning that there were people saving and investing their income to reach this level of freedom in the future, which was much earlier than the standard retirement age. And my mind was blown because I didn't know that that was possible. I thought I didn't understand investing at that point and why it was important to invest for retirement or early retirement. But I just didn't know that you could become wealthy with a nine to five and still work while working to achieve this goal. And because of my commute, so the same thing that was almost the thing that brought me to my knees to make me realize I needed to, to do something different also became my fuel or my secret power because now this commute that was so long, I was able to devour all the podcasts I could find. So I remember listening to Mad Scientist podcast and when he interviewed someone and they had a blog or a podcast themselves, but there weren't that many podcasts at that time, I would then go look up their blog and then look at their information. So I, I just went down rabbit holes and was able to absorb so much information because of my long commute, because of being at my job and reading that I was so inspired that, wait a second, there are, there are people out here doing something that I've never heard about, but they're succeeding at it. And why can't I do the same? And that's what prompted me to start my journey to financial independence. So we mentioned at the beginning, but I think it's worth talking about here again, financial freedom is a little bit more inclusive and maybe a little bit more reachable, especially if you aren't to that financial independence stage. But your entry into this world like mine was through financial independence. So first and foremost, is FIRE or financial independence at least something that everyone should strive towards? So yes, I do believe that the pursuit of financial independence is something everyone should look to obtain. And I think the reason I feel that way is because it's such a big goal and can seem almost impossible, especially depending on your starting point and how much you earn and all the factors. But what I've found through my own journey and meeting so many people within this space is that because it's such a big goal, that there's no way you can really fail at it. So I call it the moonshot goal 
you know, reaching financial independence where you have all the money where you never have to work again is great. That's the moonshot goal. But if you fail at that goal, let's just say you don't in 10 or 15 years, you say, okay, I want to have a million dollars invested and quit my job at this point. But in 10 or 15 years, instead of a million, you have 500,000. In my opinion, that is not a failure. That is better than you would have been if you didn't start the journey at all. And so I think striving for the big goal of financial independence puts you in a much better position and almost it's happening anyway, just like time moves anyway, the time is going to catch up to us. And so we might as well be doing the work and putting ourselves in a better position to be financially free and independent at some point in our future. And so it's a it's a mission or a journey I believe everyone is on, whether they know it or not. It's just that, are you prepared when the time comes when you actually have to make a decision about your life or your work and you want to step away and you can't now because you need you need to have this job and income? Let's dive into that journey. As I talked about in my introduction, one of the things I really love about your book is this recognition that we all start from different places. And one of the ways you help us understand that is through the five journeyer stages. I want to talk about those. Why do you think it's important to recognize these different starting points? Because I think that's something we really don't do very well in personal finance. We kind of treat everyone as if they're the same and they're all starting at the same place. So it's important to... I broke down the journey into these five stages because I recognized after I discovered financial independence, and even though I was very excited and I was like, I'm going to try and hit this goal, I knew that the people around me in my real life, if I told them about this thing, they would look at me like I was crazy because in their real life, they have they have bills, they have responsibilities, they have debt. And so maybe I'm in a position because I'm earning and I, I'm in a two-income household and we're earning good money that I can go through this to reach my goals faster. But what about the person who doesn't have all that or is in a lot of debt? And I realized that ultimately we, you travel through five periods or stages to get to financial independence. And the five stages are this, it's so on brand with my, um, my whole, I guess, journey to launch and rocket theme. But the first stage is called the explorer stage. That's the stage where your goal or mission is to try to reach financial stability. And so in this stage, you might feel that you are out of control with your finances. Your income cannot pay for your expenses and minimum debt payments. So you, in this stage, just want to reach stability where you can cover your expenses with your income. The second stage after you're able to do that is the stage called the cadet stage, which is paying off consumer debt. And so I typically, you know, that's credit cards, any high interest rate debt. You can, I typically exclude mortgages, student loans because of how big those typically are. But in this stage, you're working on paying off your consumer debt. And let me interrupt you for a second here before you go on to the third stage. You call the cadet stage the hardest. Why? Because it can take the longest. I mean, all these stages vary in how long it will take you based on your the factors you have, the t- the factors or components that I call that you have working for you or, or against you. But because this stage, the having debt, can feel so bleak, especially depending on how much you have, it can take you a while. And so uh, what for one person could take one month or one year, depending on their circumstances, could take another person five or 10 years. And in this stage, you are still competing with your desires to live your life and to do the things that you enjoy. And that's where I think a lot of people who are not as engrossed within their personal finances or financial independence struggle with getting on board 
to things like this because they have but so much money and now you're asking them to accelerate debt payment when they want to go take that trip and live and enjoy the money that they're working so hard for. So I think it's hard to stay within this particular stage because you're working from you know a negative balance to try to get back to zero in a lot of cases to a net worth if you're trying to pay off this debt that you're in. And then I think also it brings up a lot of, um, you know, there's some accountability and that you need to take. And then there's probably some, you know, uh, shame, not probably there is shame. There is this idea that why didn't anyone show me or teach me this, right? A lot of people have unnecessary debt because it's just, we're never taught to not take the credit card in college. And so I think there's just a lot of emotions wrapped around in this stage, and it can take a long time to get out of depending on your circumstances. We are talking to Jamila Soufran. She's an award-winning podcaster, writer, and personal finance educator. She is the founder and host of the Journey to Launch platform and podcast where she shares her journey to reaching financial freedom while helping and inspiring others to do the same. And we are talking about the five stages or journeyer stages of financial independence. We talked about stage one and two. That is the explorer and cadet stage. We are going to talk about the rest after this break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up to date first party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. 
We are back with Jamila Souffrant. Her book is Your Journey to Financial Freedom, a step-by-step guide to achieving wealth and happiness, which launches on December 5th. We are talking about the five journeyer stages of financial independence. Stage one is the explorer stage. Stage two is the cadet stage. Let's move on from there, Jamila. You call the third stage the aviator stage, and you say that it's time to learn some more advanced techniques. What are these advanced techniques? Why is it more complicated? So in the aviator stage, you are working on financial security. This is where you don't have payments to pay debt. You can really direct where your income goes and choose how you want to invest. And so you just have more autonomy over how your income flows into you and what to do with it. And you can build up then your assets. So this is a really important stage because the whole idea of financial independence is, you know, while living your life, you still need to build up and have enough assets that are passive or give you passive streams of income so you don't have to actively work. So once you get out of the first two stages, you know, you can hit the ground running more or be a little faster or depending on how intense you want to be with your journey so that you can direct more of your income to investing. And I would say that depending on when you find out about the concept of financial independence and depending on the components of the FI formula that I also talk about in the book, you know, if you're coming to this and you're still in debt, then, you know, the focus can be on debt, but I still advise that you should invest because just the same way that your debt compounds, as you know, your investments compounding, you you don't have, or if you can limit the amount of time or delay in investing, you, you should limit that time. And so with the aviator stage, I just think it's a, a great stage to be, I mean, they're all good stages. So there is no bad stage. There's no shame in any stage. Um, you can find happiness and fun in the stage, but things really start, you really start to see the benefits once you hit the aviator stage and the stages beyond, obviously, because you have more control over where your money goes because you can now choose to invest it more aggressively or not because maybe you want a more balanced approach. And so the, that's the aviator stage, stage three. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting point because you talked about in the cadet stage, especially tackling that debt. But then you also note that you may still have that debt in the aviator stage. It doesn't mean you have to get completely out of debt. It sounds more like it's a mindset change when you start saying, okay, here's the money I'm going to allocate to debt. And maybe here's the money I'm going to start allocating to investing, et cetera. Right. I mean, so while I am, you know, I believe in getting out of consumer debt and, you know, debt free, being debt free for a lot of people is very important. I'm not someone who thinks all debt is evil and that it can't be helpful. So I still use my credit cards for mostly everything so I can earn points. I still have a mortgage. You know, I was talking, we we may, interest rates are too high now, but when I was thinking about getting a new car, it was like, we could pay cash or should we finance it, right? So I am not opposed to having debt because I feel comfortable and confident in managing it. And so if you are someone and, you, and I have enough income to cover the things I want to do, well, I will make sure I have enough income to cover the debt payments that I would have. And so it's important that anyone, whether they are in the aviator stage and they choose to take on debt, it's strategic. It's, they're taking on debt with knowledge and with control in how they're using debt for their own good or to further them along in whatever goals they have. But the aviator stage, typically, yes, you have gotten rid of that consumer debt and the debt that you feel is out of control that you can't manage. But if you still have your mortgage or any other debt that you strategically hold, that's fine, but it's your choice. 
So the last two stages are called the commander and captain stages. What separates these two? And tell us which stage you're in, because I imagine you're in one of those. Yeah. So here's, I think, the fun thing about how I've broken down the stages. And I hope when people read the book and think about where they are, understand that while, okay, so stage four is at the commander stage. That is where you've reached work flexibility, where work is not something that, you, you know, you need to do, but you can make it flexible. And where you work becomes a choice. So if you have to leave a job or situation or relationship that is not serving you, it's not healthy, and you want to take a break, you can do that because you have enough money, you have enough assets to help sustain your lifestyle. So you can also take a break if you want to have children or travel the world or potentially start a business. You have enough flexibility in your finances to be able to do that in stage four. It doesn't mean you never work again or have to work again, but you can take extended breaks and work is more flexible. Stage five is the captain stage. That is ultimate financial independence where you don't have to work again because you have enough money in your investment accounts or passive income sources to consider yourself financially independent. I'm in stage four, the commander stage, where work is flexible. And I believe everyone can get to the work flexible stage. So I can be really honest that I think that it's hard for some people to reach the true idea of financial independence in stage five, the journey or stage. It's still something you should strive for because you get to you can get to stage four, regardless of your starting point, even if you're in debt, where work becomes flexible, where you can choose to do something different if you're not happy, where you can take a break and do what works for you. And I found that when I tell people that, maybe like a weight is lifted off because at first when they hear this idea of financial independence, it feels just so impossible. But when I tell them that, listen, I am in the stage of work flexibility and I've achieved a lot of the benefits of financial independence. I mean, I still... I still need to work based on my lifestyle and what I want to accomplish. And I know we're going to talk about the guac lifestyle levels, but if we lower our lifestyle and our expenses, we could be financially independent right now, but I, I don't want to, I want to enjoy my life and my money and all these things. And so I think thinking about your journey in this way and realizing that there is a spot, there is a place where you can achieve more freedom with your time and energy and still maybe have to work here and there to bring in money, like that is the real benefit. Like that is, that to me is the true, the true benefit and pinnacle of where most people can be if they start the journey. As you were about to jump into it, it reminds me of this idea that there are really two dials, right? And one of those dials is your journey level. And you've done a really great job of showing the different levels and where you're at. But the other dial really focuses on spending. So within each level, you still have a decision of how much spending and how important that spending is to you. You've broken that down into, as you mentioned before, either guac or guacamole levels. What are the guac levels and what do they mean? Right. Can you tell how much I like and love guacamole? So (laughs) I always say- Who doesn't, by the way? I mean, who doesn't? I have a friend that hates avocados and guacamole. So oh. she, I, I I always say, listen, when we're out, we're going out to eat when she, um, she always wants to take the guacamole out completely from her dish. I'm like, no, put it on the side so I can have it, you know, <laughs> but I say you can replace guacamole with anything as a, um, just a placeholder. This is just meant to show the lifestyle that you wish or you want to have. So the guac lifestyle levels range from one to five, one being the most frugal. 
and not spending a lot of money. So in this stage, you would never buy guacamole out at a restaurant. You'd probably hardly go to a restaurant because you are more focused on your expenses and trying to keep them really low. Guac level five is the most extravagant where you have a guac factory, you have a chef, you have a private jet, whatever that looks like. You are living more extravagantly and spend a lot more. And then, you know, there's a st- the levels in between. So one through five. And I think it's important to understand where you are. Um, there's different ways to think about it. You know, you could be at a certain guac level now because out of necessity, like you actually don't like the guac level you're in. You want to spend more. And I think understanding that will then help you realize why you have such a hard time maybe moving through the stages or not spending in certain areas because you just desire nicer things or you want to spend more. Or you could be completely happy. So just like there's no you know, shame in a journeyer level, there's no shame in a guac level. There are some people who are really happy with not spending a lot of money for the trade-off of one, they just don't desire to spend a lot of money and or they rather spend as little as possible so they don't have to work or have a lower FI financial independence number. And there are some people who don't want to make that sacrifice, do not enjoy you know, frugality in all areas and want to spend more. And so understanding where you are in that range, what the guac level you're living now, if it's appropriate to your current journey or level, because what some people do is they're in the beginning journey or level uh, stages, spending at a higher guac level, and then it's causing them to be stuck in these stages versus maybe you do need to live at a guac level two or three in the meantime, until you get to more stability and later journey or stages where you can let go a bit and spend more. So I, again, I'm like a very, like, I like to think of things in, I like to break things down where they're understandable to me and in fun ways. And that are just people can see themselves in it. And so when I thought about the guac levels, I thought this is great because for me, if I would have heard these things when I started my journey, it would have made things just a little bit more understandable and relatable as I was starting out. I love the idea of the guac levels because I'm thinking of the different stages of getting to and then being financially independent. And we have different words to describe things. So if I was to think of someone who's financially independent and a guac level five, what we call that in traditionally in the financial independence world is fat fi, right? So that's yeah. like a fat fi. Whereas if you have someone who's a guac level one or two, but yet they have enough money to cover their needs and they don't have to work, that might be like the barista fi, right? So I love the idea that it helps us differentiate because yes, it matters not just where you are in that financial independence journey, but how extravagant you also want to be at each time. And that's going to differentiate things. I feel like up to this point, we've really been talking more theoretical, but you do get into very much tactical within the book. And you, in fact, say there's six components to financial independence, income, expenses, liabilities, assets, mindset, and habits. The first four you call tangible and the last two you call intangible. Explain the difference and why it's important. Yes. So I think the in the simple equation of getting to any goal or reaching financial independence, it's just simply your income minus your expenses equals money or no, depending on how you budget, no money if you, a zero-based budget. But this, I think so much more complicated. I think it's so much more involved than that. And when you can understand the flow of how money comes in and how it should go out, then you can make better choices and be more in control about your life and your financial life. And so the six components really are what allow you to go through the stages 
and enjoy your life and reach any level at which you're trying to achieve. And the ones we know about and ones typically we work on in personal finance and in the spaces that we're in are, okay, increase your income, decrease or at least optimize your expenses. Then we know that you should build up your assets and pay down liabilities. So those are like the four tangible ones because you can literally write the number down next to each of that for your particular situation. How much do you make? How much do you spend? How many assets or things do you own? What do you owe? The two intangible ones, which I don't think gets talked about enough, allow the tangibles to be sustainable and then to even happen. And that is your mindset and habits. So I know sometimes you can you can measure habits, but a lot of the things that we do day to day or the way we think and feel impact the tangible components, how we earn money, if we think we're capable of earning more money, if we're able to have discernment over our expenses or delay of gratification, or even how we think of investing, you know, if we are confident to invest and make mistakes or how we look at liability. So the habits and mindset to me are what I call like the fuel boosters. They allow earning more, spending optimally, investing and paying off debt to happen. And they are as important to talk about and focus on because without them, it really makes any of the other components hard to achieve. So let's take a look from the thousand foot view. We've been talking about your book. We've been talking about the philosophy and the tactics. But in closing, financial independence is just one part of your life. Do you think getting your money straight will make you happy? Like, what's the connection between that and actually living the good life? So I think for a lot of people, you know, at a certain point, there's diminishing returns when it comes to like how much money you have, meaning there isn't enough point that we need to decide for ourselves. Now, there are some people, you know, I always say this journey or attempting to pursue financial independence is a privileged position to be in. Because there are so many people who don't have the energy, time, or ability to even think beyond just living day to day. There's so many people who are not earning like proper money to pay for their basic expenses. And so with that, I do believe that there is a baseline that people need to earn to just be secure in their lives. And then as you get above a certain point, I think this idea and why, you know, I could speak for myself that my desire to reach financial independence was really because of my desire to leave my job. I wasn't happy in my job. The people there were fine, you're great. You know, it wasn't a horrible situation, but that's what prompted me to want to achieve this. It was out of like not being happy or feeling empty inside going to work every day and on this long commute. And so money and having enough has provided security for me to be able to leave my job. And so for some people, yes, having a certain amount or achieving their financial goals will help in certain things. But I think the ultimate journey that allows us to enjoy wherever we are, so whether you still are at the job you hate and you're still on the journey to financial independence or wanting to at least get to journey or stage four where you can quit, there becomes a point where the journey also becomes inside or within because there are some things that money cannot fix. And I know it's annoying when we say it, but, or when I say it, I find that people are just like, yeah, yeah. But there are people with a lot of money and who are financially independent that we both probably know that are not happy. And celebrities that talk about it all the time that 
they just, you you know, when we look at them, we're like, well, you, you know, it says you earned like $50 million. What do you mean? Like, you know, you, you feel like you're, you, you can't stop working. Right. And I just think that in general, for a lot of people, they think the money will solve it or that getting to the next stage will solve the problem. But unfortunately, this is why I'm so adamant about learning how to enjoy the journey while you're on it is because I think the worst thing is to get to that end goal or to a goal you think that would solve every problem and still feel empty. At least when you're not, you don't have it all or you're still in debt or you, you know, you have a reason that you can blame on, oh, you know, I'm not happy yet because I I still have this, I still have to do this. But when you start accomplishing those things and you still feel something inside that's not right or missing, that's a deeper, that's a deeper journey that you have to embark upon. And so I don't think achieving financial independence based on just numbers solves all the problems. My goal would be that no matter where you are on the stage, it's in the stages, you find a place of contentment and happiness. Because if you can find that now, then imagine what it will feel like when you do get the external validation with the numbers. Well, the book is Your Journey to Financial Freedom, A Step-by-Step Guide to Achieving Wealth and Happiness, which launches December 5th. Jamila, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed your book because as I was talking about from the introduction, I think this really carries through the conversation. We all start in different places. So the financial information and advice we need is different. But not only do we start in different places, but we also have different ideas about what living really looks like. And that is connected to spending and things like the guac level how extravagant we want our life to be, what we feel like living is. And if you can separate those things out, you start to realize that while financial independence is a great goal, financial freedom may allow you to get those things you want earlier, even before financial independence is in your sights. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you specifically, if people are interested in this book, what is the best way for them to get it? And if they have questions for you, how can they reach out? Well, you can get this book by going to yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com. That is the book website. And from there, you can find the other places to purchase it. So bookshop.org, support your local bookstores and independent bookshops, Amazon, Target, all your local retailers, and even in person should hopefully have it. Um, And you can follow me. I'm at Journey to Launch on all social media. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, mostly hang out on Instagram. So shoot me a message there if this is where you heard me. And you can go check out my podcast wherever you listen to this podcast, Journey to Launch. Jamila Soufran, thank you for coming on the show today and discussing your wonderful book. Thank you for having me, Jordan. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I want to spend a moment talking about this difference between financial independence and financial freedom. The way I look at it, financial independence is all about the numbers and financial freedom is all about the mindset. Let me explain. Traditionally, people look at financial independence as the early fire, financial independence retire early model or method. This has to do with front-loading the sacrifice. 
you grind it out, you work really hard, maybe at a job you don't love, you get to a certain net worth number, usually that's 25 times your yearly spending for a safe withdrawal rate of somewhere around 4%. And once you get to that place, you retire, never work again, and live off the proceeds. That's front-loading the sacrifice. It was the old and traditional way to hit financial independence. In my book, Taking Stock, I've argued that there's some other ways right? There is the way of passive income or side hustles. So instead of getting a huge high net worth, you find a job or create a side hustle or passive income. Let's think about something like real estate where you have tenants and you get monthly income from that. And once you get enough monthly income to cover your monthly needs, you're pretty much financially independent. This is a much faster route than that traditional fire pathway of the large net worth. On the other hand, you're going to do some work continuously to maintain that passive income or side hustles, but it is a quicker path. And last but not least, there's the path that I call the passion play. This is this idea that if you can find a job you love, the purpose of work or money or all of this is to spend your time doing things that fill you with purpose, identity, and connections. And if your work does that, and it also happens to pay your monthly bills, Besides having the right risk mitigation and insurances and those kind of things, you're pretty much financially independent from the start. But again, financial independence is all about the numbers. In the first scenario, it's about that big net worth. In the second and third scenario, it's about making a certain amount of monthly income to cover your needs. This is 100% numbers-based. But when we talk about financial independence, we don't talk nearly as much about mindset. Financial freedom is all about mindset, and I want to take a moment to really divorce it from the numbers. When you're talking about financial freedom, we're talking about how you feel when money doesn't drive your actions. What that means is how you spend your time, what you do with your day, what activities you're involved with you can do regardless of your money situation. That is financial freedom. So it's notable that you can feel financially free even when you're not financially independent. There are a lot of people who do what they want to do with very little money, with very little saved up in the bank. Is this the right pathway to take? Well, for some people it might be, but obviously I think there's a lot of risk, right? So if you're not worried at all about long-term, about saving money, about planning for retirement, about planning for your older years, I feel like you're going to be in trouble. So just because you're financial free doesn't mean you're making good financial decisions. It just means that you've divorced the amount of money you have from living the life you want to live. And interestingly enough, What it shows is that you don't necessarily have to use money as the only tool to become financially free. Some people use their age, their energy level, their communities, their ability to travel. There are lots of things you can use to be financially free. For instance, if you're living in the United States and you don't feel financially free because you need to work really hard to make enough money to afford rent, could you move to another country where rent was much cheaper? Maybe you don't need to work as hard. Maybe you don't have to work at all if you have a little bit of money saved. Therefore, you could be financially free outside of the United States, but not financially free within the United States. But in neither case are you quote unquote financially independent. So again, financial independence is all about the numbers. Financial freedom is all about the mindset. My goal is for all of you to be both. I'd love for you to 
build up the financial framework and structure to be financially independent, but I don't want you to have to wait to some later date to feel financially free. I'd love to help you feel financially free today, meaning that the things you do in life aren't 100% dictated by how much money you have available or what money you need to make. If we can be both financially free and one day financially independent, we can enjoy life today as well as enjoy life in the future, and we can risk mitigate, in other words, protect ourselves from financial trauma in the future. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we want? We don't want to have to wait till tomorrow. We want to feel good about our financial situation today as well as in the future. All right, I keep things running just for a few minutes to catch any of our after show. Um, anything I missed, anything, obviously we can't cover everything in the book and there's so much great detail we didn't go into because it's just impossible in a podcast to talk yeah. about everything. But any kind of big ideas or things you feel like we missed or you'd want people to know about? No, I think you did a really good job summarizing the concepts and the messaging in it. Honestly, um, yeah, no, I think we talked about the important stuff. So I've written or spent the last few years now writing books, and I'm always surprised about what I learn about myself by doing it. What have you learned about yourself by writing this book? And for anyone who hasn't written a book, it is a huge undertaking, especially if it is a traditionally published book, to think about, sell the idea to a publisher, come up with your outline, write the book, go through editing, and then go through the marketing push to even get to the launch date is is exhausting, to say the least. So what have you learned about yourself? I just continue to surprise myself at how, how I pull through. You know, I've always been able to get things done, even when in the moment it feels like this is an impossible task. How am I going to complete this? It you know, I would at some points in the book writing process, it felt like here I am trying to mold this into a piece of art, you know, um, build this amazing structure. But you're starting with just like piles of dirt. And then every iteration, you know, every edit, it's like it's nowhere close to what you what I envision it should be. And so there were parts where I thought there was, there's no way there's no way that this book is going to be ready. And of course, you know, <laughs> I'm reading it. There are a, a gazillion things I would actually still edit and change. <laughs> As you know, Jordan, when you like write a book, you're like, how did everyone miss this? Like that was yeah, supposed to catch totally. these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I made a huge <laughs> mistake actually in taking stock where I got the net worth, net worth equation, you know, opposite. It was like assets minus liabilities instead of, it was, it was liabilities minus assets instead of assets minus liabilities. And it was in a sentence. It was like, and it was done yeah. right in the actual graphic, but it was just one of those quick little like word switches up that no one caught. And I'm like, oh my God, I was, I was actually really embarrassed. Well, no, I have, I know I have a few of those in the book. And so I think, I think what I've learned is that, you know, there are, that the impossible is possible. And I mean, I've always known that based on my life and where I, where I am just talking to you. Like, I just feel like the dreams I've had for myself are literally coming true. And so writing this book is part of one of my dreams. And when I have doubts or I'm like, is this the right thing? Even now with, you know, getting the book into the world and all the millions of things I could be doing. I'm like, I'm reminded I get these, 
nudges and instances where I'm confirmed that I'm on the right track. Like there's no way, I don't know if I told you, but like there's no way, like there's some things that happen that I'm like, this is, this is supposed to be happening. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So anyway, I just feel very blessed to be in this position. And I hope that, you know, the work is done already. I already, I already wrote it. And so now it's just hoping that people get it (laughs) and actually read it. So I want people to actually read it and apply themselves to the concepts or apply the concepts to their lives and make changes. Like I actually want to see more people doing the work. So we'll see. Yeah. I I often tell people writing a book is the ultimate act of vulnerability in a very different way. Cause people like you and I, we create content. We have a public face. We put things out there for people all the time, but there's something about a book. Maybe it's the amount of time it takes to write it, or maybe the fact that it's it's really a long form discussion and argument you're making that you just can't make in a podcast or you can't make in a blog post. It's really, it ends up being a lot of your life's work in one place. So it's ultimate vulnerability when you put it out. On the other hand, coming through the other side, I'd also say it's ultimate pride too, because that thing, that condensation of all these things you've been thinking about for years is now a tangible product. And so that's, yeah. that's, that to me is also is something I think a lot of people come out on the other side, very proud of, but it's both. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, it, for me, it was, like you said, it's very vulnerable sharing where, you know, what I believe is life can be life changing and something I wish I had when I started, or even in my twenties, I wish I understood and knew this stuff. And so, you know, you hope that other people receive it that way. And but you can't control it anymore. It's like almost, you know, I have children, I have three children. And, you know, I think part of being a parent is like they're, they're, your kids are not yours. You don't own them, but you do your best to prepare them for the world and, you know, hope that they, they're happy. And so like with the book, it's kind of like, I've done what I could, of course, you know, just like parenting, I could have done more, I could do more, but this is the best I can do right now. And I hope the best that I've done, um, you know, it's, it's, it's helpful for people. I think it'll be very helpful for people and I'm really excited about it and I hope that people enjoy it. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks again. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.